Mission Control, we are go for spitballing. Three, two, one, here we go. Welcome to the Spitballing with Ecom Elite Podcast. Spending time dropping knowledge from luxury locations all around the world. It's seven-figure entrepreneurs, Todd Snively and Chris Keefe. With the inside scoop on how to really obtain freedom through e-commerce. Get ready to learn how to make money online with your hosts, Todd and Chris. So, let's get started. Hey everybody, Todd here. I gotta tell you, I'm really excited today because uh, the amazing Chris Keefe will be joining me tomorrow because we have our Wixom live event this weekend. So about 18 of our of our Ecom Elite members will also be coming in, and the weekend is always just amazing. Uh, we have a great time. Yeah, we get to meet uh, some great people, eat some good food, tell stories. Have an adult beverage or two, play some pool. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really excited and happy for that. Plus, when Chris and I are together, we generally can do a podcast or a module or something um, a little easier than you know when he's in New Hampshire and I'm sitting here in Michigan. So oh, there's plus there's some other just really cool stuff happening. We're about ready to blow the lid off the secret project that we've been working on. It's actually becoming less and less of a secret project. So many people seem to know about it right now, but that's okay. So we'll be uh, talking about that in the podcast uh, and some of the challenges that we've been facing to get to this point where we're going to have something that's just so cool that you guys will be able to participate in too if you want. And nobody has this, and it's just going to take... the Amazon selling world by storm, we hope. So more on that later. But for right now, for today, I'm going to go ahead and um, try to finish up a story that I started in the last podcast about uh, a very trying, serious business situation that I found myself in back in uh, 1992, I want to say it was. And uh, it was kind of interesting. I want to give you a little bit more flavor before I uh, pick up where I left off. My wife at the time had had worked with me in the business. Matter of fact, she had grown to be very important to the business. She was my office manager and generally just kept me pointed in the right direction in general and um, took care of everything with the employees and just as you can imagine. Well, we got pregnant with our first our first daughter Brittany and my wife said to me you know you know once she found out she was pregnant you know when when this child is born uh, I'm not I'm not going to work anymore in the business I want to be a full-time mom want to take care of our baby and that's all I want to do and I just kind of chuckled and said sure okay whatever cuz I didn't believe her <laughs> um I'm like I just couldn't. I just couldn't imagine that happening, right? That she wouldn't want to work in the business, you know. So yeah, maybe she would take. This is going to seem terrible. All the women are cringing right now. Yeah, she, she might want to take a few days off <laughs> after the baby is born and come back right to work, right? So she actually took uh, a little more time than that. But I digress. So I figured what I would do is build her a bigger office, turn it into. A nursery office and you know have uh, the crib in there and the changing table in her office and you know the rocking chair and, and all of that and she would just 
tend to the baby and work. <laughs> Now the women are really rolling their eyes, and the guys are like, "Yeah, sounds good." <laughs> well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> Our daughter was born on July twentieth, and July twentieth was the last day my wife ever came back into the office. <laughs> you know, maybe for a lunch date, but not to work—that's for sure. So. I mention this because the the debacle with MCI and AT and T that I talked about in the last podcast was going on in September of that year. So my daughter was born in July. My wife leaves the business. I'm still in denial <laughs> and a little bit of shock. Over those two events, more, not denial about my my child being born, but that that Patty wouldn't want to work in the business anymore, and then all of a sudden in September, you know this this letter arrives from MCI, basically giving me 30 days notice that they're terminating all services to our 3,600 uh, customers, and our and it serviced us basically as a service bureau, and so we went to to recap real quick. We went to AT and T. Got them to agree to、uh, take over all of our business and set up the 3,600 numbers, 3,600 clients' numbers, and we had a date that all the numbers were going to go live. Now, picture what's happening here.、Uh, I had to contact all of these customers, explain why it made good sense to switch over to AT and T, explain. Why it made such good sense to change their numbers, and they,、um, every one of them, one hundred percent, said okay. Nobody was willing to leave. They would go and change, edit their TV commercials, edit their radio commercials, edit all their、uh, advertisements to update to the new numbers. So、uh, we got all the new numbers from AT and T, doled them out to all of our customers, our clients. And they updated all their advertising, and basically, you know, was telling television stations run these ads on this date, right? Thinking the numbers would be working because we told them they would be working. And as I said、uh, in the last podcast, when the cutover date came, not a single number was working. Not our numbers, none of our, our customers' numbers. And you can just imagine the meltdown of our telephone system of everybody calling in. Telling a you know, let it, thinking they're the only ones, right? Hey, my number's not working, right? It was just unbelievable. And then、uh, when I, you know, tried to get a hold of anybody at AT and T, of course, the sales guys are all blaming you know their technical department. It was just、um, a very trying time. I look back at, at that time right now, and I, you know, I, I look at the lessons that I learned. And one of the lessons, really, is to be assertive when when you're right. I knew we were right. We had a contract. They had agreed to have the numbers up by by a certain date. I had made a very large, incredibly large deposit with them that they had required to cover all of the billing on the long distance charges for those for that traffic. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Okay, so we get another date. It was like three weeks later. I mean, they basically said, "Okay, well, three weeks from now, all of the numbers are going to be working." So I go back to our customer base, 
just tried to explain it was a technical snafu and said, you know, the, the next date, everything should be working is, is this date. But just to be safe, you know, <laughs> don't plan on running anything right on that date. Make sure the number's working first, right? Well, long story short, three weeks went by, not a single number was working. Another week went by, not a single number was working. Okay, now we're losing customers. Now they're just basically saying, look, it's been, you know, seven, eight weeks. I, I need to make revenue. So they were moving uh, over to competing service bureaus and getting new numbers. <laughs> so, you know, I just about had it at this point. I could see our clients just running away from us because we weren't able to deliver on the promises that we had made based upon the promises of others. And this was another lesson that I that I learned is you really you really can't put a hundred percent of your trust in uh, in other people's promises. You have to hedge your bets. I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to believe in people. I like to believe that people are going to do what they say they're going to do. But I learned the hard way that that's not always the case, and you need to make contingency plans for that. All right. All right. This story kind of took a really weird turn, a really weird turn. Um, I was panicking. I mean, my overhead hadn't gone down a nickel. I wasn't able to go out and do any seminars because what am I gonna what am I gonna sell them? I've got. <laughs> I don't have an account with MCI, AT&T is not working. Not like I can, in good conscience, go out and do seminars and sell programs, so I have no revenue from that. I have no revenue from my 900 number program because they're not working. So I'm sitting here with, and I'm not joking, I mean, the overhead had to have been like 200 grand a month, right? I didn't want to let anybody go. Um, I thought that would, it wasn't fair to them, but I was running out of money, right? So... I wrote a letter to the uh, CEO of AT&T, and his name was Robert Allen at the time. And I basically said to him, you guys are, are destroying my business. You made me promises. I, ha- I have a contract. And, of course, they have all their little escape clauses in the contract, right? You know, But basically, you, know, you guys are killing my business, and what are you going to do about it? right to the CEO. Well, lo and behold, I got a response. And, you know, my my letter was sent via fax, and his response came via fax. Signed, Robert Allen, and this is basically what the letter said. Um, I'm I'm not aware of your situation, but now that I am, I have appointed Mr. So-and-so, um, to look into uh, your issue, and I have granted him executive authority to act as if he were me to do everything possible to get this situation resolved for you, right? So I'm thinking, cool, this, this is, something's happening, right? A few days later, I get another faxed letter from, from his authorized representative, the one endowed with the power of the CEO's office, and it said... I've looked into this, and you're right. We have absolutely dropped the ball uh, with your account. We have failed time and time again to get your uh, account up and running, 
and I'm, I am doing everything possible to get the service up and going as, agree, as we had agreed we would in the shortest possible time. I'm thinking, well, that's nice, you know, but what, what's that really going to do for me? I look around, and guess what? All of my customers were gone, every single one of them. So now, I mean, the situation has really changed. My overhead has still not dropped. I haven't let anybody go. I'm figuring once the numbers are up and running, I can get back on the road, do seminars, rebuild the business, and and move forward, right? But my wife wasn't there with me anymore, you know? She was kind of, she was kind of like my rock. Whenever I saw her there working, I knew that meant she believed in me, she believed in the business, you know, and, and things were just good. And it's kind of interesting because her and I, when we reminisce, we look back on on those times, those years that we worked together side by side, and, and we said those were really the happiest years of our lives. Not there, that there weren't other happy years, but you know what I'm saying, you know. And uh, so I'm kind of sitting there feeling, you know, a little bit alone, even though I wasn't. <laughs> I, had, I had like so many employees around me, it was nuts. And of course, they all wanted to know what was going on too, and they were scared silly. And then one day the phone rang, and the phone call was from a business broker. And as it turned out, we had some proprietary um, software that we had, and hardware that we had developed to do um, some call, rede- call redirect. And they basically wanted to buy that technology from us, that intellectual property. And so now I'm faced with this huge decision. They wanted to do an asset sale. There was really no business for them to buy, right? They just wanted the assets. I knew everybody would get laid off. And I also knew that, um, you know, my business would be gone. You know, I would have to either completely regroup, you know, or, or, or get into something else. And then I thought about it. And I said, you know, my first daughter was just born. I have all this turmoil at work, just things that I thought never would happen are happening. Maybe I should take some time off. So I sat everybody down, all the employees, and um, you know, I kind of told them what was going on. And they were all incredibly supportive. And uh, at that time, the economy was really good. Uh, everybody kind of felt they'd be able to get jobs elsewhere. Uh, I mean, a large portion of our company was either IT support or uh, sales, and a good salesperson can get a job anywhere, and Colorado Springs was a, was a high-tech area at the time. So everybody was very supportive of me selling the business. Um, I was able to give people, you know, a nice severance check. When I say sell the business, sell the assets to this uh, Japanese company that wanted our intellectual property. And it would give me, gave me enough money um, to be able to pay off my lease, you know, um, all the furniture leases, the equipment leases, the office lease, and have enough to go spend, uh, you know, a year with uh, Patty and uh, Brittany, our baby. So I made that decision, and I decided just to walk away from the whole debacle with AT&T. I lost my deposit. I lost uh, everything, I mean, uh, from that point of view. 
And nobody was really upset because they had all gone and, and gotten uh, numbers with other service bureaus. So nobody was really mad at me per se. They were probably a little disappointed. But what, what I learned from all of that is that sometimes making decisions can be very difficult, incredibly difficult. And sometimes it's okay, you know, to say, well, this didn't exactly go the way that I thought, you know, wanted it to go. And while it was a hard decision to make, it was the right decision. Definitely the right decision. Um, I mean, if I was having that kind of a hard time with AT&T, you know, what would it have been like, you know, working with these guys, right? So, so I took the money, um, closed, you know, basically closed everything down and went to, and spent time with, uh, with Patty and, and with, uh, with Brittany. And let me tell you, those were the best days that I can remember. It was just an amazing experience. Now, after about three months of uh, spending this time together and going for long walks with the stroller, with Patty and Brittany and our golden retriever Cinnamon, and uh, in the you know enjoying the beauty of Colorado and the mountains and just you know laying there on the floor with you know the wind coming through the the window. I mean, it was in the radio playing. Just just having this wonderful time. After about three months went by, um, Patty made this offhanded comment that led to our next business venture, and I'm going to tell you all about that in the next podcast. And guess what? It's not the end of the story with respect to AT&T either. So stay tuned. Thank you.